Okay, welcome to a look in. We are three women having a casual chat about what's happening in the world around us and we're keen to just have a look into if Jesus is relevant to it at all or not, but usually he feels like he is. So we're going to chat a little bit about that. And today you are joined by me, Anna Beaver, and me, Laura Southen, and me, Alice Trick. So to get us like warmed up and feeling excited to chat about um, things in the world and Jesus, we have a warm-up question and today it is, what is the worst job you've ever, ever had and why was it that bad? Well, I, when I think about the jobs I've had, I've never had to do anything really terrible, which I'm pretty thankful for. But I do one job that always comes to mind as a bit of a strange one was when I was a uni student, I worked as like a receptionist in a very small accounting firm. And now that I'm saying it, I'm just thinking about who might listen to this and if they will know what I'm talking about, (laughs) but I don't think so. But um, it was a very small accounting firm and there were lots of nice things about it. I only worked there like one or two days a week, depending on the time of year, but they had this weird tradition where um everyone would eat lunch together which not is not weird in itself but the weird thing was that um there are a couple of people in the office who would take turns they would and they would make the lunch for everyone so you didn't like bring your lunch or anything but everyone had everyone had the same lunch but it was tuna and tomato sandwiches every day basically and that was just well I mean it wasn't bad it was just kind of weird to me I don't know I just always thought that was really strange maybe I'm too harsh on it but I just thought that was weird yeah are you a tuna fan I actually think tuna and tomato is a bad combination I don't support that though I enjoy both of those things separately separately oh I love them together so fresh (laughs) (laughs) that's another topic for another podcast I suppose (laughs) what about you food related podcast (laughs) what about you though Al well, I feel like similarly I've been lucky in having lots of really awesome jobs, but um, I, I had an admin job in the city once um, and the job itself was okay, but I just had this really intense micromanager um, who I was reporting to and that was really hard because I felt like I could never do anything without kind of having her approval and it just felt really stifling. So I feel like that was a tricky experience of work for me. What about you, Anne? I worked lots of different jobs. My first job was in a nail salon. Loved that job. That was great. What did you do Um, in the salon? I painted nails. I also ran lots of errands, got lots of coffees and sorted like products and things. That was a really fun part of the job. But the worst job I had, I actually liked the job itself, but I wasn't very good at it. It was like I did the nail job and then I moved to this job in a Nepalese restaurant and I'd never had Nepalese food before and it was so good. And I was paid very basically, but also was given lots of Nepalese food. So I was like, yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> um, and I was in the back, like I did some dishwashing and things, but I also took orders and brought out food. But when I was 14, I was little and they gave me this huge, like, silver platter of goat curry. And as I was taking it out, my hands were shaking. And I hadn't quite got the, like, cool hospitality, like, double-handed yeah. hold yet. So 
So it was just in two separate hands and I got to this lady and put it down on the table and they had these like ornamental silver dishes that they held them in and the goat curry just fell all over this woman. Aww. And thankfully <laughs> she was very gracious but I was mortified and then I got fired. And so that was probably <laughs> my worst job experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I felt really bad for her and goat curry is not a fun thing to have. <laughs> Well, I think we'll um, return to the theme of work and jobs a little bit later in the episode, but um, I thought maybe we could get started by thinking about something that's been all over the media at the Mm -hmm. moment, which is the Will Smith Oscars slap incident. And Mm -hmm. so for anyone who maybe is not across it, which I'm not sure (laughs) if that's anyone, but um, Chris um rock made a joke about jada peter smith's um alopecia and uh will smith reacted by slapping her uh, slapping him um which was a very scandalous thing to happen at the oscars and i think something that has been dissected a lot recently but i wanted to bring it here because i think not so much to dissect what happened but mm. to take a bit of a more bird's eye view because i'm interested to hear from you guys about what you think how people have reacted says about our culture and um, how people are responding at the moment totally well i think that is so um i actually have been thinking about this a bit because when it happened i remember you know waking up australian time seeing it all over the news and um, that day when I went to work at uni, there were just so many people talking about it. There was so much chat and there was lots of debate about should we be talking about it, all that sort of thing. And it's really died down a lot now, even though now it feels like the actual sort of official consequences have been meted out about um, Will Smith no longer being part of the Academy and he can't go to the awards for years and all those sorts of things. Um, so it feels like there was a real shock that just brought heaps of conversation. And since that shock died down, the conversations died down as well as a lot, even though it felt like it was a conversation about important things that don't just come and go in a moment, but it was really a surprising and shocking moment to be so public and in that setting. So I feel like there was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to it almost as well. I feel like when I first saw it, I kind of wasn't sure if it was like an act or if it was just, and I think because it was part of that Oscars kind of world, if it was like almost like a movie scene. Yeah. (laughs) I think that kind of took that weird shock element out of it for me, even though I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, But since I feel like the conversations around me have been either uh, on two sides, but I feel like then since then they've kind of gone all over the place. But in terms of violence is never okay, I feel like is a big thing, lots of people have said, as well as people talking about, well, you know, he was protecting his wife and that wasn't an okay joke and who gets to decide what's okay and not okay. And so, I don't know, I think they were kind of interesting discussions. But, yeah, I think, like, it got over-talked about at some point everybody had an opinion and I even messaged you girls being like oh my gosh what's that like take on it <laughs> and I was like oh my gosh now I roll my eyes a little bit about that being like why did everyone feel like they have to have a take on this moment 
Well, it's interesting because I feel like that intersects with this other thing around it, not just what do we think of the incident, but there's this other dimension of these sort of interactions happen all around the world every day, all the time. These are just famous people in a well-dressed setting. And so there's that extra dimension of when someone's famous, what do we expect of them? They Because I've been thinking about like these are just human mm. beings who have relationships that will yeah, have their own histories and their own kind of complex contours and what working histories of these people have with each other and all that sort of thing and that happens whether you're rich or famous or not basically but do we expect more of those people or not because they have some of the privileges that come with fame there's influence that comes with that all that sort of thing but you know you can get awful high and mighty about stuff that you know regular pleb humans are dealing with also in life all around the world all the time and we don't give nearly as much outrage to that um, or attention so that feels complicated to me as well Oh, I feel like I almost expect less of them because they're in the public eye that I expect crazy, shocking, dramatic things to happen to celebrities. But like, That's because you've been watching too much maths, Anna. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's an argument there. But I feel like if somebody in my family made a joke and someone got up and slapped them, I'd be floored. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas, like, because it was on TV, I kind of put it in that category of, like, this is, like, an action movie. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. How much do you think the fact that the dialogue around this plays out in, like, a public square, public space, influences the nature of the conversation as well? Because I think, for me, it feels like there's not a lot of nuance in it where there might Mm. be a bit more if it's something happening in your life or, you know, the particulars of it. Mm. It feels like there's still a lot of mystery around, like, what is the relationship with Will Smith like with Jada and all these kinds of Mm. things? What do you... Do you think it's about like the space that it's happening in or just in general that we don't like to be nuanced or? Well, I feel like one of the interesting and pretty difficult and I guess from my perspective, I guess I would use the word disappointing things that's happened is that there has been a lot of general conversation but then a lot of also high profile commentary from other celebrities people who are in the room or people who've worked with Mm -hmm. such and such or people who are familiar with that that context in the system and this flow-on effect of um, you know I saw it came up on my Instagram a clip of Jim Carrey talking about his take on it and how he thought it was totally um, inappropriate it's ridiculous that people tolerated it all these things but then a few days later people have dug into Jim Carrey's history and he's been all of a sudden counted as unqualified to make that sort of reflection because of inappropriate things he'd done decades ago and I think that's where there can be this double standard a little bit where I'm like every person is trying to figure out what to do in the moment and no one has a clean slate record. doesn't matter if you're famous or not. We've all made heaps of mistakes. We'll learn along the way. But because that's so high profile, um, you kind of can only be a saint basically to be allowed to have a voice at the moment, which I think is really difficult and hard and we don't want to stand for hypocrisy but also there's you're just not going to find a perfect commentator. Everyone's got stuff in the closet. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting that, like, nobody can make, like, a clean slate comment because there's a reason to cancel everyone. Well, yeah, yeah. If it's based on that. I do think there's something sad about, like, I and I don't think this has happened in this case, but I do think it's something sad that about people feeling, like, silenced because they can't say something because they 
uh, don't have a pe- a perfect record. Like I think not having a perfect record shouldn't stop us calling out like behaviors that's actually maybe mm. really inappropriate, even even though that nobody can like nobody can do that. So yeah, I don't I don't think it should lean to okay, no one can have any opinion. Let's all move on and never have a conversation about it. But the amount of conversation that was about this incident felt like really over the top to me. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, I was just thinking that that makes me think there's not enough, there's not very much space for like forgiveness or um, learning from mistakes. That's like, it's more black and white. And maybe even when people are trying to be nuanced, it's really hard to look past someone. I don't know, where does their authority come from? It comes from having a blank record themselves. And that's a standard that is impossible to uphold. And so what do you do when no one's perfect? How yes. far do you push that though? Like yeah. how far do you push like like if it was if it's bad behaviour, is it kind of like, well, what does forgiveness look like for um I've just got his name, Will Smith. <laughs> Not minor celebrity. Like what does forgiveness look like for him or for Chris Rock in that moment? Well, I think that is challenging at the sort of public celebrity level because there, there's like an interpersonal issue there and so that feels like where first and foremost the wrongdoing has happened. It's because he's a celebrity that people think he has to make a public apology to the mm. whole world because mm. like you're, you have influence, you have power, you should use that for good. You can't set an example that says this doesn't really matter or this is a trivial issue. So I think that is a real challenge. And I think we have a pretty significant kind of like scepticism or cynicism that stuff that happens on that public scale is heartfelt or genuine. And that's sort of like a system of its own making in a way to force someone to say things to be accepted and then go, I don't know if they really meant it to be like, oh, yeah, that's pretty tricky to know how how heartfelt it is. But then between the, like, the individual, those just humans involved, they've obviously got kind of business to do with each other as well. And that's probably just first and foremost before them rather than what any other person wants to commentate on it, yeah. Yes, and I guess that's the difficulty of it being so public is that everyone has their own ideas of what went wrong and so everyone's idea of forgiveness and apology would be quite different as well and yeah. so there's really no winning in some ways. I wonder what you guys think is the hopeful perspective as we've kind of zoomed out and seen a lot of kind of sad things, I guess, as people have critiqued this, this moment. Well, I was thinking, yeah, from the kind of telling the story from reverse, I guess, there's the sense where you say, oh, if someone's got bad things in their history, how could you possibly trust their voice on trying to condemn someone else's wrongdoing? And I do think it's good to have, um, I guess, a sort of uh, a low tolerance for hypocrisy or that we sort of, we, we call things out. However, I don't think we can totally say that everything has to be hypocrisy because it creates no space to learn and to grow. And I think that is the hopeful story that can be told, that um, actually we can learn from each other, that we can put things behind us. And certainly from a Christian perspective, I think that our hope for that is actually we learn from God, that God helps us, that we don't have to be in denial about the fact 
that we've struggled. We've made big mistakes in the past. We saw things totally wrong. Our perspective was too selfish, too blinkered. We weren't listening. Like we don't have to deny that in order to still have hope that we can grow and change because God helps us to do that. And that's not about our own merit or the fact that we've figured out how to be a good human being a bit quicker than the people next to us or things like that. And so you don't have to be defensive about it. You can be humble, but you sort of press forward and you still seek to do what loves your neighbour and what loves God as well. But I also think it means you don't have to like rank yourself next to other people as much, like who is the most kind of righteous person to have an authority on this. If we're all in the same boat, we say we actually all need help and we are trying to grow, but we have to be humble about the fact it's our, our own strength and our own insight and empathy and compassion, all that will just never quite be enough to, yeah, to get us there on our own. So I think there's hopefulness about the idea of God helping us grow as people. I think, like, even in this conversation, you guys have made me think about, like, the perspective of both, like, Will Smith and Chris Rock as well as, um, like, the commentators. I kind of think that maybe the hopeful perspective as a commentator or listening to other commentators is that, like, no one is better than anyone else. I guess that's, like, a very levelling kind of factor of being a Christian, that, like, I'm no better than um, Will Smith because I didn't slap someone on stage or I'm no better than Chris Rock because I don't make inappropriate jokes, like, I think that's what I love being about a, love being a Christian for is that it does really remind you that like I might not do something on the public stage that everybody has a comment on, but there's lots of things that God sees about me that's not perfect. Um, but the response to that from God isn't, here's all my like Twitter comments of abuse, but his response to that is like, here's my son who I'll give in your place to die for you. So I kind of feel like a relief about that in lots of ways of when I get things wrong, one, I'm not on a public stage often and ever. <laughs> um, and two, well, what about this response. podcast, Anne? Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but to God's response isn't um, to cancel me or to um, kind of, you know, have a comment on all of my things. But I think also like there's still accountability in being a Christian because God like actually doesn't want me to, like he has a moral code that he decides that I don't decide and no one else decides, but he decides. And so I feel that like is a helpful thing in this example um, because there's actually not a discussion about is it right or is it wrong or, you know, morals are ambiguous. Like I think God has an opinion on mm. what, you know, what I do or don't do in life. And I think that holds me to account more than other people's opinions. Mm. Um, mm. I also think from like the commentators kind of perspective, I kind of think about like lots of people had different opinions and some of them were helpful and some of them were not. And I like what you were saying, Laura, like it's helpful to learn from them and think about them, but only if it's like creates change, <laughs> like if it just creates interesting drama and conversation that we all move on. But if it doesn't create change in the way that we see people with 
different disease or disability or if it doesn't change mm. our response in the way that we fight back in violence or mm. mean jokes or whatever. Like it's just an interesting conversation. They're like, ha move on. But if it creates change in us, then I think there's helpful things to learn. Mm. What do you think, Al? great points there and I think the only thing I'd add is that if we were um, if we actually do really desire for people to be authentic as they make comments on other people's lives then um, I guess as a Christian looking to God is the ultimate source of authenticity and truth and you're never going to uncover something that's a bit kind of untoward about him he knows everything and also is perfect and so that feels like a good standard to to measure up to. Mm. Well, let's um change it tack. Um, although I guess maybe you could say that Oscar slap was a workplace drama. We're going to talk about a workplace. I don't know. However, you want to try and make a segue. You know, there's lots of conversation. We're in this sort of strange place, especially in Sydney, where the three of us live, where we're sort of considering ourselves post-pandemic in a way, although there's still heaps of COVID around, but our approach to life and our lifestyles are really um, seeking to live in a post-pandemic sort of mode and rhythm and routine. But there's been this real topic of conversation about what what is that actually going to look like? How is it going to be different from what it was before COVID entered into our lives? And one big part of life is work. What what is the change to our work experience that's going to be on this side of the pandemic? And I want us to think particularly about kind of connection and community because so many people talk about there being less community and connection in their workspace. And maybe we could have sort of that as a broad concept, workspace, whatever it is that you kind of the the meaningful kind of work and labour that you do in your day, whether that's work or um, study or unpaid work, but it's kind of meaningful social contributions in different places. Um, There's just a real challenge to how much people feel known or connected there. And there are some practical and pragmatic barriers I think that have been further erected during the pandemic to feeling connected to feeling a community things like heaps more working from home working remotely or the fact that lots of workplaces have experienced some degree of turnover just in the people that work there Um, but there's also been um, barriers that are chosen not enforce the way people have chosen to interact to either kind of lean in or to draw back a little bit. And so I'm interested what you guys have seen for your own experience or people kind of around you. What are the changes about where we're finding community or how connected we are in this kind of post-pandemic stage? Yeah, I feel like sad that loneliness was already a big factor and Mm. I think that has kind of contributed, like, I think the pandemic's probably only made that worse for people. Like we were talking about a few episodes before about the metaverse and how kind of technology kind of holds out this promise for connection but actually often makes us feel less connected I think so much of my life when I was working and studying and now a mum through the kind of like pandemic kind of time that we still live in, I can't believe it, Mm. um, feels like it's moved to an online kind of world. And I think that has kind of created more, more loneliness and more kind of isolation for people. 
I think since thing what you said, some things are chosen and some things are not are just forced upon us. I I think like where I was working in twenty twenty, we didn't have a choice but to be online, even if many of us would have chosen to be together in person. But then sometimes like when there's been the option of having on online mm. like course or something that I was doing. Like when I was studying, I was like, well, online is actually way more convenient at night because I can just watch it. And then as soon as it finishes at 9.30, I'm like home and like can enjoy dinner and yeah. things when, when I'm done. So the kind of convenience of things, that was like a chosen isolation. And maybe I like lost out on things because of that. Like I didn't. I didn't get to have like the friends in class and the conversation around assignments and, you know, the learning that might've taken place in that kind of informal setting because I chose the kind of pandemic online version. How has it kind of affected you guys? What's it been like for you? I feel like that's so true. Um, that there is this tension between what I want I want to be connected to people and I want to like be in community with others and at the same time I want what's most convenient for me and I want to be able to maximize my time and I want to be able to fit everything in perfectly and I also think we lose a bit of matchedness we think oh it's going to be so much it's going to be awkward <laughs> to meet new people and it's going to be much more effort to drive there or public transport there so I feel like this really difficult position where we kind of want both things. We want the benefits of being together in person, but we also want the convenience of being able to like totally micromanage our days and our time together. So I just think that is a really difficult challenge because even when you can choose to be in person, there are real barriers to going back because, yeah, there are well, and it's interesting because the um, those sort of choices or weighing up one against the other, I guess, just didn't exist on nearly the same scale before we had to adapt and move online and do all these things we wouldn't have even really conceived of before or people were in workplaces that had a really strong value or policy to say, no, 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 we're not working remotely, that's not a thing. And when we had to do it, now all of a sudden we, ha- we have the the sort of burden slash opportunity to weigh up convenience and um, connection. And maybe those aren't always the two things that people are weighing up one against the other, but that feels like quite a common theme. Um, I was speaking to a friend the other day. She's just finished uni. And so this is the first few months of working full time and she's in um, kind of a corporate job, but she's hardly worked in the office at all. And so she says, no one really knows her it sort of changed her experience of the specific type of work that she's doing by doing it so um, so much in isolation from others and just um, sort of, you know, she was hoping for a more collaborative experience in the type of problem solving and research and stuff that she's doing. And so that's really shaped not just her experience of work but her attitude towards the task itself. And I think there's probably lots of people going through that, why, which is why lots of people have looked for new jobs or new sort of settings to do their type of work in. Um, I've read something recently as well, though, that talked about, this kind of trend, I guess, for people who had the option to work safely from home and things like that during the pandemic, that um, there's this force that makes us more resistant to put ourselves out of our comfort zone or to go beyond what's convenient. And in particular, 
um, connecting to people, that that relational side, a post-pandemic introversion um, that just makes us kind of want to stay home more. It's a more big deal to go out to see someone, to try and build a new friendship, even to maintain an old one. Have you guys experienced that at all, that, that kind of lower capacity for being out and about? Nah, not at all. I just <laughs> feel like I just I think it's made me hungrier for it. Like I've been like any time a lockdown's ended, I'm like, oh my gosh, how many social things can I pack in now post pandemic? I think my husband decided he was like became like but I'm an expert. I thought he was an expert. After the pandemic, he's like, I think I've become an introvert because of that. And I think that is part of that capacity thing, like feeling more tired or like now or just even enjoying time at home and then just feeling the loss of that when you go out and do lots of social things and then you come home and you're like oh my gosh I just want to be at home I love being at home and I think I've definitely enjoyed being at home more than I expected to when we were forced to be but I just love doing all of the things that I think it's made it made me hungrier for it to be like yeah let me get back out and I think like people that I know who are working full-time office jobs they like have expressed this funny thing of like the ideal is going in two to three days a week and being home two to three days a week and I wonder if that's a reflection of that lower capacity thing like okay I used to be able to go to work five days a week and that was fine and now I feel like I can go in two or three days a week which gives the best of both worlds like and maybe same with study like go in for a little bit like do your socializing, see your people, like do the fun part and then like do the convenience efficiency stuff in the other days of the week, which I'm like maybe that's this tension we're wrestling with between community and convenience or like maybe even to push it a bit further, like selfishness or selflessness, but maybe that's a bit too far. I don't know. But I also think like so much before the pandemic, we never really talked about community and connection as much. I feel like the bigger conversation Mm -hmm. was like balance and how busy I am. And so I'm like, well, is this the solution? Are we living in the solution? But it doesn't feel quite right. Like, that I wonder, like, if there's actually something more that we need. Anyway, there were lots of thoughts there. What do you think, Al? So many interesting things there. I feel like I definitely relate to the post-pandemic introversion, <laughs> maybe less so with kind of work and study. I feel like I feel really grateful to be able to be back in person and really see the benefit of that. But in my personal life, I think I've really noticed that I take way less initiative in wanting to catch up with people and I think I also feel a lot more fear that of getting my hopes up like oh that plan's just going to be cancelled that thing's just going to not work out Mm -hmm. anyway um so I think that has really affected the way I relate to people more in my personal life um and I was also just thinking about your friend Laura who's just started working and this idea of being a new new to a work place kind of younger in a position of less power maybe and feeling like it's a bit uncool to be the keen one that's going in all the time there's yeah there's that new layer as well of I don't want to go in if I'm the only one or yeah already workplace stuff can be quite awkward <laughs> anyway at yeah the best of times and if there are no other young people going in with you or whatever it feels like there's an extra layer then that's blocking people 
going in as well. Yeah, which yeah. Links to that introversion idea. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm an introvert, so I sort of had pre-pandemic introversion. I just there's continuity for me, but um, <laughs> different to you guys. But um, I mean, there's obviously personality factors that feed into our experience of that and then there's broader social kind of trends and there's also I think I mean I'm obviously not an expert in psychology or anything like that but it really feels like there's been a heightened conversation about kind of adaptability and flexibility and capacity and and how much we can kind of handle in a healthy way like you were saying Al about plans changing and how do you deal with that for years and years and years on, on end um, so I feel like there's all those mixed things in the mix, but I'm curious, um, just sort of maybe as we come to an end on this reflection to hear, what do you think, um, like Christian faith speaks to engaging with this tension or seeing kind of opportunity or challenges when it comes to connecting in the spaces that we live in and, and kind of forming community there? Yeah, I think that, um, Something I was thinking about is my Christian faith helps me to um, come out of myself place where I just put myself first all the time and think about oh, what's going to be the best thing actually is loving to others. So where I'm able to invest in other people and connect with other people, even if that means putting myself out there in a way that feels uncomfortable. And I have found that a helpful thing to kind of help drive the why, why should I grow, why should I do this, even if it feels hard. Um, But I think also um, my faith helps me to know that it's nothing I can do to kind of earn (laughs) um, my happiness or anything like that. Um, But, you know, just reflecting on the good things that God's given me and my limited capacity as a person, it being okay to kind of sit in that space, Mm. holding those truths together. Mm. What about you, Anne? Yeah, I feel like church has been a beautiful kind of place for me as experiencing community. And I think like that was the that was a real constant through the pandemic. Like they did online things as well, but like a place where you went online and it wasn't to work or to study, but some like places that were like wanted to check in and know how you're going emotionally and ask for prayer for things and that was a pretty beautiful experience to feel that connection even when we kind of live through isolating times. But I also wonder now that, especially in Sydney, that we've experienced a little bit of pandemic, lockdown, post-pandemic kind of freedom, still in that weird tension of um, cancelling things and lower capacity. I think the kind of Christian way I've thought about it is like we just live all of our life a little bit restlessly like there's never like before the pandemic there was things that were good and bad about community and post-pandemic there's things that are good and bad about community and loneliness and selfishness and selflessness and balance and those things but I think living like I think I'm glad in some ways even though I hated the pandemic in lots of ways because of the awful kind of things it's brought about, but also the kind of impact on our lives. The I think I feel lucky to have lived through it, to just have something big and global happening in our lives that's kind of shown me in some ways that, like, my biggest hope is not for the pandemic to end, but it's 
for Jesus to return and for heaven to start. Like, and that's the only place that I'm like, okay, that's when I'll experience real connection, real community, real like free of fear of things being cancelled or continuing. I think that's like where I, I feel like I've put my hope more in because I thought I could find it here in some ways and control here, but I actually I've found it less and less. So, yeah, I'm grateful for some of those learning things and having that Christian understanding. Totally. I mean, that makes me reflect on uh, similar experiences of it's sort of a, a jolting sort of shock or prompt to reconsider what we find steady, what we find secure, what we find lasting. And as a Christian, certainly that that hope of eternity with God and all the promises he, he gives about the fulfilment of that, the joy of that, the security of that, the everlastingness of it. Sort of hard to get your head around, but still that that firm anchor for hope through restless times. And I think the that sort of challenge for us as Christians to live in light of that now as well. And like you were saying, Al, about um, not just living for what's good for me, but trying to have that perspective of how do I live out that kind of ultimate good in reality of love and relationship in whatever context God has me in at the time which doesn't necessarily equate to doing heaps of stuff or having a million friends, but just being real and sincere and having depth in, in those opportunities that we've got. So cool to hear your guys' thoughts, but um, I think that we'll wrap it there. Um, we want to thank you, Lookers, for looking in with us today. Um, invite you to subscribe to our show, wherever it is that you're listening from, so that you can hear as soon as a new episode drops, which won't be too long. And we can't wait to uh, be with you next time. So bye for now. Bye. Bye.